Stop your grinning and drop your linen. Music. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Black Hills Information, talking about security news. Today, we have a good cast of characters. We have Bo, who's responsible for the music that you just heard. We also have Ralph, as always, and we have Mubix joining us. And of course, Ryan, the shootist, is helping us pull this whole thing together. So the main story that I really want to talk about, and actually the only story that I want to talk about today... (laughs) is the exchange out-of-band patching that basically happened. I think it was yesterday it popped up. And basically what it boils down to is there's four separate vulnerabilities that Microsoft patched. And Velexity was the first company to detect this all the way back in January 6th. And if you don't know Velexity, a couple of quick things about Velexity that I think is pretty awesome. Number one, I dig this company just because of the amount that they give back to the community. These are the people that are behind the volatility memory analysis framework. So they deserve just a ton of credit for giving back to the community, number one. And number two, it pisses me off because we've had this happen in the past, specifically to some of the stuff that Bo and Mike Felch had found in the past, where it seems like every article out there is like not talking about Velexity's blog post and was really kind of the first company to come up and find this, these vulnerabilities and work with Microsoft to get it addressed. So we got to give credit where credit is absolutely due. But this is a, this is a scary one. I, I think it's scary for a number of reasons. I, I think it's scary because there were four separate zero days that it appears the Chinese were using to gain access to email boxes on exchange. That, that's a high number. Usually you don't see that many zero days being used. If you go back to Stuxnet, I think that there was four that were used in Stuxnet by the United States and Israel to gain access to IRA. Are we are we still pretending it wasn't the United States and Israel? Just just out of curiosity, is that or are we now coming down to saying no? The United States and Israel were behind Stuxnet. Uh, is that it safe totally now? wasn't? It totally wasn't. I don't know what you're talking about. Cool. So we're still on that. We don't know who did that particular. Definitely attack. don't know who did it. We don't, you don't know. know. Don't know because. Anybody could have had access to Siemens PLC systems and could write four separate zero days on a Windows system. But at any rate, true. Uh, obviously, it, it's it's rare for that many to be used. And this was, in fact, used, it appears, by the Chinese. And that's interesting, right, that there was four separate zero days that were being used. The amount of time that it took for Microsoft to get to the point where this was released is, I think, interesting for some people. And Ralph had mentioned in pre-show banter you know, this is kind of typical Microsoft where they'll sit on some of these things a little bit longer than I think that we'd feel comfortable. The other thing that's kind of frightening is this isn't the only exchange vulnerability that we've seen exploited over the past couple of months. One of the more terrifying things, there was an, uh, I think it came out in December or January, a completely different exchange vulnerability. And everybody ran around and said, hey, you've got a patch, you've got a patch, you've got a patch. And still today, there's something like 38,000 exchange instances that still have not been patched. And that really highlights how bad the patching is in the industry and will be for quite some time. So can I, that's- Can I ask one, Go ahead. one question yeah. real quick? Go for it. Why the hell do you have Exchange sitting on the internet? Just um, saying. 
<laughs> I mean, isn't that how email works? I isn't mean, that O-W-A, wait like, <laughs> wait a minute. What do they use it for other than remotely exploiting environments? I'm confused. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what does the exchange thing do, actually? I, yeah, that's what I want to know. Just tell me what it does, and then we'll talk about what it's going to be on that. <laughs> for email. So, so technically, you actually shouldn't ever have exchange itself sitting on the internet, right? You have, they ha- they moved to this model, what? Exchange twenty or not twenty, uh like yeah, twenty ten or something like that, where you have the multiple pieces where you're only supposed to put the OWA on the edge and like yep. nobody does it, but like uh it still boggles my mind when I find when but, I find oh. an organization that has like OWA just sitting there on the internet with the entire exchange platform instead of just the it- forwarder. Isn't this attack, though, on OWA, right? So the publicly exposed piece of it, right? So yeah. even if you were to separate yeah. out the... I mean, I haven't done... I haven't done what ECT. you're talking about, like, the whole, like, deployment structure where you're actually, like, breaking down one piece or another. I mean, I, I get where that would go, right? Like, you don't need, like, the actual exchange server, you know. No, with, uh, you can... Yes, you so- can your, it's specifically with JavaScript cascading style sheets and fonts used by OA, Outlook Web. Yeah, and, and okay. Alexi actually addresses this specific thing in that blog post. Um, they talk about, like, where the difference between using a single server uh, versus yeah. u- utilizing the multiple server setup. There's just, there's uh-huh. a couple ways of doing it. But even with sing- or even with the... Multiple, multiple server, server. Configura- configuration you could still, still technically exploit yeah. this yeah. yeah oh ouch yeah ouch <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still well, still why why do you have it on the internet but still like well but I, I still think it's a valid question because this doesn't impact office 365 just making that very clear before people start panicking and doing and something it, regret it doesn't it, it doesn't affect office 365 anymore or at all <laughs> at all <laughs> yeah, right. Anymore. Like, so somewhere it, it, there's an executive that's thinking, you know what we should do is we should switch all of our stuff to Google because they're more secure. That guy is wrong. Don't listen to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean if you look at like just the, the the infrastructure around how OA is built, like the the actual like content that it's pulling, like the things that are actually being exploited in this, uh O365 doesn't have any of that. Like it's just completely different. Okay. You know? I, I did love the uh the web shell that they did drop like it was the <laughs> super simple like it, like you get it off of github type of web shell yeah. um see, take the post request for c and make it a command and execute that it's like i do that every, all the time it's super like for ccdc i'm not alone great. i'm not alone They're right like- i mean they dropped the c or the md part of it i usually have like request item equals uh, cmd so i know that it's a command but like that that obfuscation is pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> I, I I like how it appears that this provo- this particular vulnerability is like super super simple to exploit. It looks to me like it's a simple get request, possibly, or sorry, post request, a simple post request going in. So th- it, it's funny. Velocity is like we're not releasing the the code of how this works, <laughs> but we're going to show you this uh, this XML file, and we're going to show you this truncated this truncated post request that's getting so set. OAB virtual directory. Like if you're a security researcher, you're like looking at this, there's plenty of like breadcrumbs. I, I would say by the end of today or mid tomorrow, we're going to have a Metasploit module for this. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> oh, I guarantee people are already working on it. Yeah, we'll get a couple GitHub, you know, Python versions. And then once you, you know, it's full blown out there when you get the Metasploit module. That is the official start. Yep. 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I actually think that we've moved on to another, another level of public after or uh, public awareness. Like, you get the Metasploit module first, and na- and next you get the Hack the Box challenge. Like <laughs> once it's a Hack the Box challenge, everybody's going to be using it. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to have to call Hack the Box and see if they have it, because it's just a matter of time before they have it. Or <laughs> Derek Rook. They had this challenge before yeah. it was publicly disclosed. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, uh, new kidding. <laughs> they released on Hack the Box called Exchange. <laughs> So if you're listening on the stream, be sure to pop in some questions because uh, I wanted to kind of open this up for questions to the community as a whole. And I'm going to have to move my Discord over to a better screen so I can actually see it. One of the things that we were talking about beforehand, and this is this is really a problem in the security community, and I know some people hate it whenever we do this, but one of the problems in the community is we say, hey, all you have to do really is, is patch it. And it, is it always just as simple as just applying the patch. Should we be concerned about applying the patch? I've had already had a couple of our customers say things to me like, in light of solar winds, we're hesitant to install patches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to get everyone's opinion on that because that is absolutely what people are thinking right now today. I think it just blew all the synapses in your brains. Like I would hesitate to say... That Microsoft, Microsoft is, is is at risk of this. Like I'm sure they have been in the past, but I would I would trust a patch from Microsoft faster than I would say Adobe or or Oracle, right? Or solar ones or solar <laughs> or solar winds. Right? On the so list like, of who do you trust? Is solar winds the bottom or like almost? No, I love solar winds. Solar winds is amazing. If this is okay. If you're listening you. to the show, if you're listening to the show, if Rob really likes your product, that's a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, oh, oh, and I'm starting to like. Uh, I'm starting to love uh, Manage Engine a lot more too. Like, uh, oh god. Oh god. Well, yeah. and we were talking about Ansible before the show, but that's not something we can talk about too much. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, anytime you hear of a pen tester, that's like, oh, this, this is an awesome tool. It's like we were joking at the beginning. It's like, what do normal people use Exchange for? Is it just like out there as a CTF gate to get through to get to the main admin? Like, I don't understand. But you know, I, I think that this 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 is really a, a, a crappy timing, right? Because I do know that there are organizations that are flat out not patching at the cycle and the cadence that they used to, specifically because of solar winds. And Rob, I think you were one of the first ones to say it. The solar winds thing is bad, right? There's no question about it. But if you look at that one really horrific patch that went out that had malware in it, and whenever you put that against all of the patches that have been released since patching, like let's since modern patching, let's say like 99, 2000, if, if you're looking at that from a percentage perspective, it's something like 0.0000001% of the patches are horrific patches. But if you don't patch, the likelihood of you being exploited with this particular vulnerability in the next week is probably <laughs> higher. Like you got to look at that risk as well. Yeah, it was just yeah. like the vCenter one that came out too. That one, oh, vCenter is great. One, yeah, oh, the vCenter, vCenter is getting locked up right now, and now this one is going to get hit like hard, right? And I mean, like, if I was on an engagement right now that had somebody with OWA, I, I would be looking to exploit this too, right? So, I mean, and real world attackers, they're 
I mean, obviously they've been on this for a minute, right? Like (laughs) this is in the wild. This is, I mean, you know, yes, there's no GitHub POC, but trust me, there are some forms right now that have been trading this exploit for a little while now. So can I, can I shift into another um, point of this conversation? If you apply the patch, do you then perform post incident uh, checks to make sure that you weren't exploited already? Like, that's one of the things that I think that not very many people do. They're like, oh, New Zero Day, they didn't mention us, so we're <laughs> going we're gonna to apply the patch and, and we're good. Like, that, that's the biggest mindset that scares the heck out of me. I, but, but, uh, see, but isn't that kind of a problem always with incident response, right? Like, you know, if you look at every single incident that I've worked for years, there's the focus of that one workstation that was compromised. Like, oh my God, we got to fix that one workstation. And you talk to the customer and they'll say something like, we isolated the workstation so we think we're okay. Or could you just take care of this one workstation? Let, let's get this addressed. And there's almost like this, this willful ignorance of trying to ignore that question, Rob, and many customers and uh, in, in organizations out there. Well, because it's a hard question, right? It's very hard to prove a negative, number one. Technical skills aren't there. And I, like I said, I, it almost feels like it's willful. Like, I just want to be ignorant. I don't want to know. I don't want to understand this at all. I would say that also, I, 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 would, I personally wouldn't say willful ignorance. I would say that people have limited amount of time, especially on the blue team, where they have a billion projects already going and, and patching and like calling it done and checking the box and saying, hey, I accomplished this is more important than going, okay, hunt team or, you know, fake hunt team that we don't actually have the money to, you know, have. Go look at this for, you know, two days to make sure that we weren't popped as part of this. Like that's, that's a hard thing to kind of spend time on when your, your to-do list is huge. Yeah. And once again, I think it comes back to, it's really hard to prove a negative. Like how far down the rabbit hole are you going to go before you finally say enough and we just need to stop looking? And I think that it depends on your risk appetite, like how much risk you're willing to accept in your organization. I mean, to your point, Rob, though, they probably should just take a quick look and see if any of the common indicators are there, right? And, you know, it does suck. Yeah, you don't have that much time. But yeah, as part of the process, you probably should take a quick look. You know, should you spend one week diving through it's like you know where do you end but at least be like okay whatever common web shell is not there you know we checked the logs we didn't see any you know suspicious you know so on and so forth right so well and also this write-up by velexity i think is fantastic because velexity actually went through the effort to say this is the post-exploitation activity that we saw the attackers do one dll32 to actually dump lsas ps exec proc dump WinRAR command line utility, web shells and domain account user edition. I think, you know, if you're worried about this at a a bare, actually at a bare minimum, you should be looking for these things, right? At at, at an absolute bare minimum before you actually put a fork in it and say that you're done with this particular attack. Yeah. Yeah, So so on that point, no, I was gonna say, so on that point, I mean, so you mentioned, you know, things like proc dump um, things. So on Microsoft's blog for this, they, you know, they mentioned Nishang using Invoke Mm -hmm. PowerShell TCP one line. They mentioned PowerCat being pulled from GitHub, like directly being pulled from GitHub. Like they actually were using PowerCat from McDougall in the Microsoft post on this. Yeah. (laughs) So, all right. So here's a question, right? 
if you have four zero days they're using to exploit exchange servers why use these tools that are just on github like why not build some custom because stuff i mean work. yeah but you know that there's sigs for all this stuff right no no yeah, I, I, like I, there I, are they exist somewhere they they are not on every every box or every network that you're on right like so 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 okay so bo i agree but I think that this gets into the, one of the problems of companies like BHIS and TrustedSec and Guardians, um, Secure Ideas, where our view of the universe is fundamentally different from what the universe actually is, right? We have customers that are coming in, they're hiring us, they got good EDRs, they're running good signatures, they're using UEBA, they're maybe running Sysmon, they're doing all of these things. And we get them, right? If you talk to other firms and a lot of other firms, there's a much higher percentage of companies that have like really still crap security. And I, 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 it, it's a little bit frustrating, but yeah, we absolutely do like have companies out there that are nowhere near instrumented to be able to detect these types of attacks at all. I will say that if you see proc dump running on your, well, any server, but your exchange server, that should be like instant, like lockdown mode. Like, there, there, there are some alerts and signatures that everyone should have that is like zero noise to signal to noise ratio. Like you frock dump on a on an exchange server or or yeah, high that, value server should I, never work. Yeah, and if if you're if you're if you're running run DLL thirty two with script object and it's pulling something from the internet, that just shouldn't happen. Like. <laughs> it's, you know, there's some things that we can do. I do find it funny. There's one group there that we got to looking at their signatures. And if calc.exe was fired, that was an alert. <laughs> yeah. So I did want to pop up PowerCat. This is a tool originally by Mick Douglas and from Better Safety Net. And then Luke Baggett from BHIS. So that's one of the tools that was being pulled down. But this also gets into, you know, whenever... So are, are you so, saying that BHS support is supporting... APT actors. Is that what you're saying? Like, I know that we don't have Marcello to come on. I'm saying that APT actors are very lazy. Yes. So, you know, why, why create your own tool? And that's kind of my point is, you know, we were joking about Stuxnet at the beginning. And I think that this is kind of an important point to make. Stuxnet, Stuxnet was a mistake, right? And I know there's people that wrote Stuxnet that are probably very proud of it, and they should be. It was an amazing piece of code. But from an ops perspective, it's got problems, right? Like I joke about Israel and the United States being one of a handful of threat actors that could have created something like that. So if you're a nation state attacker and you're going to create this piece of malware that is amazing, you're going to sink $15 million into it. That actually is attribution in and of itself, right? If you look at the Chinese, hell, they were using, what was it, poison ivy up until about three, four years ago, right? And if you're a nation state actor, there's a huge difference between government entities that will run their own custom malware and the other nation state actors that'll use commodity malware that's absolutely available because it doesn't have nearly as much attribution for that nation state attacker. Now, over the past three to four years, the United States has kind of started changing its model as well. And you can see this in the vault breach, the CIA stuff, where they specifically talked about how they should go through the effort to make their malware look like somebody else or have some form of non-attribution. So if you're seeing nation state attackers that are using these tools, 
it is not necessarily like the red team community is making their jobs easier. It's basically they're using the tools that are commercially available from the perspective of non-attribution. They absolutely have badass implants and badass like backdoors. They don't use those for everyday ops. They use those for very specific ops. So this is just kind of that, you know, when we talk about the APTs and what they're doing, this is just them doing good ops, making sure that the tools that they're using are tools that are publicly available. Once again, the thing that's interesting to me is they were using four separate zero days in these exchange attacks. And I would like to know, I want to get you guys' opinion on this. They didn't need all four to gain access. So were the researchers like working with multiple customers of Velexity and they saw these different zero days being used in separate attacks? Or do you think that they saw it in one attack and the attackers were using all four in that specific incident? Not sure. I mean, in the article, they're talking about their process of discovery, right? How they kind of went through, they found Mm -hmm. one, and then they kind of moved to the next one, right? Looking, it sounded like it was possibly during one customer environment. I don't know how many customer environments they actually had that were doing this, right? That's always the question, right? I mean, I think they said customers were So one is an auth bypass. Two. Yeah, two of them. Uh, Really? Yeah. 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 It's four total. Post yes, one's a, an SSRF vulnerability that's um, yep, I see non-authenticated, that. and then there's a uh, deserialization vulnerability. Okay. So it, it looks to me like there's, was... there's two remote code execution vulnerabilities that were being used, and then you could use the other vulnerabilities once you got access to the system. It, I'm reading this. On, on the Microsoft page, it says that the, the deserialization one requires administrative privileges. Mm. So it so they would have to go have with to the uh, but one of it, these vulnerabilities does run with uh, system level privileges right one but that's the right. serialization one right so yeah. I think what's happening is that the attacker used the auth bypass there's two arbitrary file rights so they used yep. both of those to get file rights to be able to be the admin where they can run system so they had to use all four yeah. So okay, the, so they did. The, the SSRF one's interesting because on the Microsoft blog, they, they mentioned that that would allow, you know, the server to basically send an HTTP request. That's the way SSRF works, right? Yeah. And it says that it would allow you to authenticate as the exchange server itself. That, to me, sounds a lot like Perv Exchange attack, like where you were able to cause exchange to authenticate with NTLM over HTTP. So you would essentially set up like a listener and, and harvest that credential, right? And, and so I'm wondering if maybe that SRF vulnerability they were just using to have the server send credentials to an attacker-controlled server. And then from there, you know, either they'd have to relay it back somehow or, or crack it, right? Yeah. I, I, I'd be curious to know if they were doing an internal relay or bouncing it off the server and coming back or if they had to crack the credentials. Because I think that that also speaks to how hard it is to exploit this particular vulnerability. If you're getting credentials, you have to crack those credentials to gain access. That's completely different than being able just to have the server authenticate to itself as itself, download a web shell or execute code on your behalf, right? Those are two completely different things whenever you're talking about the overall exploit, uh, exploitability of something like this, too. And, and so the other thing to think about here is, is the, you know, we're, we're talking about getting a shell and actually like getting remote access, right? If you don't worry about that at all, if you're worried literally just about the email access, the SSRF vulnerability is probably all they needed. Like that's literally the only one that they would actually need to cause the exchange server to, you know, gather emails from its own system, yeah. right? Like, so if, if, if you're worried about 
RCE, yeah, the other three matter a lot. But if you're really just worried about email access, then really that SRF is the only one that matters. Well, but that also gets into some questions that we've had over the years with MailSniper. It's like one of those things where I think that, you know, MailSniper people were using it in order to bypass two-factor authentication to gain access to Exchange web services and gain access to an inbox. But I think that the, the biggest thing for me that really terrified me is how you could use something like MailSniper once you gain access to an email inbox, how you could then look for other insecure in mailboxes and gain yeah. access to those as well. So it's funny. People don't give, I think, email nearly as much credit as they should. It's like, well, let's get access to their file servers. Who cares? If you have access to Exchange and email, Literally all of the important documents for an organization are in emails, right? They're just yeah, and if you and look that's at some of the password resets go to. Yeah, 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 that's, that's yeah exactly. This, yep. No, if you look if you look at some of the, the bigger I mean, I guess not necessarily bigger breaches, but like some of the more popular ones that have been in the news recently have been like where the attacker literally just set up email forwarding and that was it. You know, like they just they compromised an account forwarded all the emails that were going into it to an yeah. attacker controlled system. And then that was it. That's all they wanted to do because that, that at the end of the day, like the recon there and then the ability to get access to sensitive data from email was all they wanted. This is a great chance to remind people to go look at your forwarding setup. If there are any forwarding in your personal email or, or private email and, and delete apps and all that kind of stuff in there. Cause uh, I know that my mom was a victim of hacking very similarly. And she had all of her work emails being forwarded that she didn't realize that was happening. Like, mm. like, so like there's, there's definitely a chance there were someone right now who's listening to this podcast or later is listening to the podcast has already been exploited and you should go check and, and do that, you know, security, like cleanup or maintenance or whatever every, every so often. Audit it, right? At least audit yeah. it. Yeah. So we actually had two customers in the last quarter of last year that had the exact attack you guys are talking about. One of them was really interesting. What they were doing is they would have the emails get forwarded, and then the attacker created a doppelganger domain that was very, very, very close to one of the recipients. And they were able to send emails and respond, quote unquote, to emails that were being sent. And then they were able to get routing numbers and get bank transfer information just by jumping in the middle of that communication stream. So that was a pretty cool, that was a pretty cool incident to work. And it's weird. It's not that hard. It's not like the super uber hard technical attack. It's almost like, you know, a little bit of social engineering tied in with spear phishing and just watching for certain things to come across the wire. The exchange service really, I was just going to say, it's really the heart of most of these companies. Also, another thing that we're talking about too, if you did get their remote code execution, the LSAS process on an exchange server has almost everyone's credentials clear text so i mean everybody like that's, I think that's why rob was saying you know that's super concerning yeah, yeah. like it's, like it's the only time there, it's like red yeah, flag it's the only time i've run mimi cats and actually had it just sit there for like 20 minutes yeah just, it, it's it's a little disc yeah it's wild i know google enough to know that whenever you add a forwarder into Google, like it makes you jump through a bunch of hoops. So it, it's not automatic, right? It's very, very hard to automate that process on intentionally so that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Is Microsoft the same way, Bo? Like I, I know that you know it. Microsoft's in Office 365 better than most of the people. To add forwarding rules? Like, like to add a forwarding rule, yeah. So, you know, even even if you're not looking at forwarding rules, there's like so many other ways that I can think of that you can create persistence into an, yep. an, an, an account, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, all right, so, 
He's going to pre stuff. <laughs> Go, Bo. All right. No, no. So, all right. So, forwarding rules, yeah. Like, that's, that's you know, been a thing around for a while. You, you can do it like any normal user, create a forwarding rule, set up, you know, certain terms that you want to send all the email. But besides that, like sneakier approaches, create like an app-specific password. Like Ralph and I did this on an engagement recently where they had MFA on the account and we created an app-specific password and had inbox access to that user's inbox, well, to their, to their mailbox, right? Without two-factor. And so if you're not checking for, you know, secondary app-specific passwords, that's another thing. OAuth applications. So you can create, if, you, if you're using O365, you create an OAuth application that has the, the, the permissions to read from the Graph API for, for email. You know, like you can, you can have basically an application that's just ask, accessing your email that, you know, it doesn't have to be forwarded at all. Like there's no forwarding happening at all at that point. Like you just have an application that's accessing it. The Graph API, I just pulled up the, uh, there is a simple forward post request. You can set up a email forward in the Graph API. And the only rule or the only permissions you need to have is the mail and send permission, which every user is going to have for their own inbox, right? So, I mean, you could do a simple post request and set up a forward right away. Um, mm-hmm. No extra steps. Hey, Officer 65 people, please make this harder. one more one more thing (laughs) um so so a few years ago mike and i did a talk at what was hacking fest where we talked about malicious microsoft add-ins and that's another one where so so within outlook itself so not your browser not like don't think about like uh like an extension in your browser think about like an extension within office within outlook itself right within the web browser um, you can create these add-ins that essentially can forward emails the same way that your 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 forwarding rules would forward email, but these are separate from the forwarding rules. They're an add-in within the browser itself, or well, within Outlook itself, and they sync across sessions. So, if let's say that I password sprayed an account externally, you can authenticate externally, create the add-in, and it will sync to the actual user's session wherever they are. So. Like, I mean, so yeah, like forwarding things, you know, like that's, that's one way to go about it, but there's a lot of other things to be worried about too. <laughs> so in other words, you're saying APT, get your act together. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and wasn't that attack the one that, that got SANS? I think so. Um, I think it was a combination of, of that specific thing and an OAuth application. And by the way, for uh, I'm actually sharing the uh, presentation. It's Wild West Hack and Fest 2018, Covert Attack Mystery Box. This is an interesting presentation because there was four separate things in this presentation, and all four of them should have been one-hour talks on their own. But Bo and Mike decided, what the hell? We'll just do all of them in one simple presentation. <laughs> yeah. So there's more stuff there, too. Yeah, it was a fun one. All right. Um, I did actually have someone ping me on Discord and they wanted us to quickly talk about another one. There is a new Google zero day vulnerability. So patch your Chrome browser Mm. like now because, well, it's that type of day. You know, it feels weird. The past couple of episodes, I felt like it was getting a little light on the news stories. And it's like when it rains, it pours. And somebody (laughs) also pointed out there's a number of financial institutions that are getting hit by ransomware. No. No, <laughs> no. All right. No, dude, so, did, I mean, Qualys, like Qualys got ransomware, didn't they? Like today. Yeah, like, maybe we should talk about that one. Maybe we'll do that one next week. Whoa, um, Qualys got ransomware? Jesus Christ. I can't even I, I think about this. Yeah. So one of the scariest things about Qualys is that all of the, all of the vulnerability data for every one of their customers is in the Qualys cloud. They're, they don't have an on-prem solution, right? So like... Whoever had that access, you wasted your time, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
why 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 ransomware when you have all of the vulnerability data for all of those companies right there for you like it, uh, it looks like that Qualys was a victim of the Acceleron hack so like going down the chain here and they're being held ransom um yeah their latest victim to be extorted the Google zero-day Chrome vulnerability that I, th- I think is kind of fun is this is uh, one from Allison Huffman, who works at Microsoft's browser vulnerability re- research team. Uh-huh. And, and I want to know is there like is there like a like like a turf war between you know Google's exploit Project that, zero day? Yeah, Project Zero Day. Oh, we found another one for Edge and <laughs> well, here's another one for Chrome. Uh, well, hold on. Oh, I guarantee there's like a checkbox on both teams is like office building where they can <laughs> yeah. look. Yeah. It's but, like I could just see someone at Google now going, reset the clock. <laughs> <laughs> but so Edge's Edge's dumped their own code. They've moved to Chrome Chromium, the underlying open source project for Chrome. So they're now pretty much the same browser. There are some modifications right on top of that, but like underlying. The same, <laughs> we, just, so. we don't want you to exploit the whole for Edge just yet. So the they're, doing, they're doing the same thing they did to Netscape, basically. Got it. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. <laughs> you can't if beat them. It once, on. it'll work again. You can't beat them, steal them. Got it. Yeah. Or the Bill Gates Simpsons episode. Just buy them. all right so anything else folks are we about ready to put a fork in this because you know i think a lot of people have a lot of work to do if they're running exchange on the edge of their environment like stop running exchange on the edge of their environment but that's between you and your co-workers in this weekend so oh the weekend's gonna there there was one uh small vulnerability uh in salt stack that i don't think that many people east of california know that much about like like the silicon valley people uh, salt stack is huge it's basically deployment structure and management and all this stuff right and like it was it got really big and basically what is is like uh uh what is it called chef and puppet and the minion the thing that runs on your system for salt stack had a privilege escalation bug that was instant code execution and no one talked about it because it's you know such a microcosm of people who use it in the you know silicon valley but like in silicon valley salt stack is huge and so i i was just this this particular vulnerability caught my eye as as something that patching it is really hard to do because it's already on the systems and and the minion patching doesn't actually happen by default so good luck with salt nope Nope, it does not. Ooh. Good luck with that one. Sorry. There's a great blog post on how to exploit it. You can exploit it remotely. Like you can just go ask it for Etsy Shadow and it gives you Etsy Shadow. Like it's great. <laughs> Sounds a bit uh a bit too easy almost. But that's what happens. You know, these are the vulnerabilities, pen testers and red teamers everywhere. These are the vulnerabilities that we're going to be exploiting for the next six to nine years. All right. So let's go ahead and let's wrap it up, everybody. Thank you so much for joining BHIS talking about news. I want to thank Bo, Ralph, and Mubix for joining. And as always, I want to thank Ryan for like pulling this whole thing together. So we'll see you next Monday. See you later, guys. Later.